Blog Talk Radio. Time now, intro. Oh, Blog Talk Radio. I hate thee. You know, I, I, I really do. There is only play. one <laughs> thing hockey fans should be listening to this podcast. You are listening to the Isles Beat Podcast with your host, BD Galoff and John Jordan. Prepare for your mind to be blown. You know, if it ain't one thing, it's another. Um, every week, there's some sort of timing issue there. We will get to the bottom of that someday, folks. But in any event, we're back for another go-around. I am John Jordan. Joining me each and every week, and sometimes by himself, is Mr. B.D. Galloff. Good evening, sir. Howdy. And you are all once again listening to Isles Beat. I uh, I really wanted to jump in there with all kinds of momentum, and we got the, the old delay tactic again. I, uh, I I guess I should come to expect that moving forward. <laughs> Never a dull moment. Yeah, yeah, except for that 10-second uh, pause where it's certainly very dull and we have dead air there. But, hey, again, that's not the point. Anyway, folks, we've had a, a little bit of an up and down time since last we spoke, uh, coming off of the first game after the All-Star break, uh, a win. We talked to you, to everyone last week, uh, and uh, we're in the, the most positive of spirits. And then the Islanders promptly dropped a couple in a row, uh, a bit of a heartbreaker to Washington uh, on a late goal. Mr. Alex Ovechkin, thank you very much. Uh, and then a stinker. Uh, last Saturday's uh, effort against Detroit, I don't think anybody was happy uh, about, and um, certainly Twitter was up in arms. And then there was a rebound the very next day, Super Bowl Sunday, uh, in remarkable uh, style, an 8-1 to one laugher against Edmonton. Now, everything was weird, and we're back in positive spirits, right? And then come last night, uh, a 3-2 squeaker shootout win over Columbus that left many people, myself included, uh, a little bit less than satisfied. Uh, I was slightly vocal about that, and I drew a little bit of criticism for that. Uh, A win is a win is a win after all, but I say you should never have to go to a shootout against a team like Columbus. They're abysmal. Uh, but it all leads me to one question to lead things off this week, and that is, will we ever be happy, BD? <laughs> no. No, especially after today, um, having a conversation with Isles Twitter over Christian uh, Erhoff as if he was Bobby Orr. You realize <laughs> that anything and everything becomes this huge debate and no one's satisfied. It's almost like there's a little bit of uh, Milburyism and go get someone, just anyone, just for the sake of getting someone uh, to satisfy that uh, that this season is, uh, you know, that is a little bit of a mixed bag. It's not like the, you know, the Islanders did, uh, especially after a couple losses, do did come dangerously close to dropping out of the uh, the playoff race. The fact is the playoff race is very knotted up and they're tied right now with a bunch of teams at 62 points. So, you know, it's going to continue to be people not happy, but I, I do think that there's a few to look at that give you a little bit of, uh, I'd say a little bit of optimism and uh, uh, play off a little bit of uh, what we were talking about 
Last week, besides bitching about uh, Brett Yormark's uh, latest uh, stupidity um, in converse, you know, in his interview, um, uh, the fact is that there are some things to, you know, in the second half to look for. And, I, you know, I still seeing indications of those things kind of getting better. And I guess we'll talk about that a little bit later. Yeah, I think one thing for sure, or how about a, a little bit later, as in right now? I think no, one thing for sure. That, I think one thing for sure that's been got that, that's been gotten better. What's wrong with me? I've had a, a <laughs> one one hell of a day once again. Anyway, that's gotten better so far after the All Star break is uh, some signs of life from uh, the offense, uh, most notably uh, John Tavares. I think that uh, people are looking for that uh, in a big way. Um, you know, there was a lot of, there has been a lot of concern, some of it unfounded, some of it not so much, but, uh, he's picked it up since the break. Um, and I think that obviously, you know, that's a big key. Kyle Oposo seems to keep chugging along. I was going to make a joke to you, um, after his, uh, hat trick the other day, uh, in that Edmonton game that, uh, I believe it was the Edmonton game, right? Anyway, uh, I was going to make a joke yes. to you that, uh, hey, maybe now's the time uh, to trade him. I know that's a big, to- a big topic of conversation for later in the show. But back to my original point, uh, you know, in five games since the All-Star break, Tavares has seven points. The offense seems to be clicking a little bit more consistently with maybe one um, major exception being the Detroit game. And I think that's a positive sign. That's the key to this team uh, long term, and it's, it's going to be the key to, to sustained offensive uh, numbers. In addition to some of that secondary scoring, we got another another tally from Anders Lee recently, so we seem to have a little bit of an uptick there. Ryan Strom looks to be playing much better, and I think all of those things starting to kind of fall in line uh, should make people a little bit more happy, uh, albeit every now and again when they have uh, something less than what we expect, either a shootout loss to or shootout win against Columbus or um, a, 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 a blowout loss at the hands of Detroit, things of that nature people are always going to find something to complain about. But I do think the offense uh, is starting to sort of click a little bit, and maybe that's reason for optimism at this point. Yeah, well, and also the possession game is still rising. You saw it in versus, uh, versus Washington. That was a very close game that could have gone either way. Uh, that's what they should be doing versus Washington. Washington is much stronger than they were last year. Um, I thought that was a good showing despite losing. Um, the you know, There's nothing better than a loss like that. Um, but that was the type of a competitive game that you want to see from them. Not, uh, you know, I think the Washington uh, did a little bit more of a number on us previously. Um, the game versus Detroit is an interesting one because I happen to disagree with a lot of people who were pointing out, uh, yes, the defense made gaffes, but Halak was horrendous. There, there were medium danger shots and high danger shots he was 40% and 50% of saves for those. So the fact is, uh, you know, his his goaltending was atrocious. Um, so it, it, it compounded um, a few issues. And the fact is Detroit played, uh, a, played a much better game. Um, so there was a bunch of things in that Detroit game. I think if Halak had been you know, to the level of what he did, um, you know, yesterday. Um, I think it might have been a lot closer of and uh, of a uh, of a game instead of falling apart. But you know, what can you do? And uh, yes, the Edmonton was a bit of a laugher. And uh, you know, Columbus they came out really kind of poor in the first in the first period. Um, that seems to be uh, you know with this team you know, some sort of uh, issue. But then again, they were able to pull it out and have a much better second and third. They had a lot of shots on goal and uh, were able to get it in the in the shootout, thus citing this morning on Twitter. Um, you know, I might be married and I have, uh, have kids, but I have to say I, I had to admit that I was thinking about Clutterbuck's soft hands. Silky smooth, right? Uh, you know, yes, uh, yes. when... When when John Tavares pulled his trademark, I'm going to go negative three miles an hour and try to throw 9,000 moves in uh, <laughs> in a short period of time right in front of the crease like that. I pretty much knew that he wasn't going to score because it doesn't seem to work for me for the life of me. And I agree with, I think it was Butch on the broadcast last night that 
mentioned for the not the first time that he said this. Not, not and he's not the only analyst to say this, but I think to I think it to myself all the time. How you don't come in on a penalty shot or a shootout attempt or a breakaway with all kinds of speed is beyond me. You absolutely put the ball in the goaltender's court, but um, that's neither here nor there. They got the points. We're, we're trying to move past that. But when uh, when Clutterbuck was the next guy up uh, after Halak made the save on the next play and they had to, and they had to, or the next attempt and they had a chance to win it there, I had a really good feeling. He's got a great shot and he uh, seems to be confident in those situations. I really like him as a player, as we've said before. And you know, if I could get excited about the shootout, that would have meant a little bit more to me. But I totally feel what you're saying there. Yeah, you know, he's the only plays. You know, people were talking about this morning. Oh, why can't we just place him with JT on the top line? Oh, that's yeah. not Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa! Hold on a second. Who said that? That's come on. That's a little silly. Yeah. Well, a couple of people on Twitter. This is what I deal with every day. And, and the reason yeah. is, is that Clutterbuck only plays eleven, twelve minutes a night. Uh, that type of play and what his role is, is 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 really far different. He makes the fourth line exceptional in the league, but. And he's a good plug-in that you can utilize in other lines, but he's not a first-line player. The first line plays 20 minutes a night. That's just not not possible. And doesn't have the speed for the type of game. Is not a not really a great of possession player. You know, he's he's a guy that has some good skill sets, some good hands. If you notice, with most of the Islanders, they all have some sort of extra little attribute in some other area. That's why the fourth line is you know so unique. Um, Martin had sometimes has good hands and able to get a, a goal or a dirty goal, uh, Sezikis as well. Um, and Clutterbuck, you know, the Islanders really look for that, but he's not a guy that can really work on the first line. It's not, not to the type of game that the Islanders play, not in the new NHL, which is, it requires speed and, uh, possession. And, uh, it's just not the type of, it's, it's just not his role it just wouldn't work I, I i people still seem to be in love with size and size really has become secondary if not third in the new nhl um this is why you see some smaller puck movers these days um you know you do need some size but and and look how large size players have been completely overrated just yesterday uh, part of the Dion Phaneuf trade, uh, a pylon, just another name for a pylon, uh, horrendously paid. Uh, Toronto doing a fabulous job. You're kind of seeing what Lou Lamorello is really hired to do. He's hired to do is clear all the mistakes that Toronto did so that they have a clean slate. And there he is moving him off. And they get back Jared Cowan. Jared Cowan is another case of a large player who got overhyped in the draft and nobody bothered to look at his other attributes. Fact is not a very good hockey player. And this happens often on size size. And it's still like a little bit of the old NHL. Uh, I like, I put in uh, 15 minutes by accident. So we're being told we only have 90 <laughs> seconds, which is not well, true. that went quick. That went quickly. Yeah, yeah. I feel like we just started. Anyway, you know, I I feel like I feel like you're 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 stopping a bit short of committing to making the statement that size doesn't matter. Is that uh are you willing to 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 let those words uh come out of your mouth, sir? Well, my wife has told me. Oh, wait. Oh, whoops, whoops. <laughs> sorry. Um Well, look. Every time I hear Tyler, you know, let's go trade for Tyler Myers. Let me tell you, I've looked at the analytics. He's terrible, terrible player. And the fact is that people and uh, the players get overhyped on size. And the NHL, you know, some of the teams have fallen for this. Look at, um, you've seen these large players that just don't do anything else. And it's so important to have other attributes, other skill sets, hockey IQ, um, a sense of the game and, um, you know, like, like some of the Islander players have attributes in other areas of things that they can do. And the, those, those players that don't have that fall out. And I, I think that, that we're too in love, uh, especially from a fan point of view still 
on size. And I think that, um, you know, you, you don't want a guy that's too small that gets pushed around. Of course, it's going to matter. But, uh, you know, I don't think that the six foot five behemoth player is necessarily the answer. And uh, if you look at some of those players falling out from the draft, the, very often they're players that got overhyped for some sort of skill or some sort of attribute. And no one looked at his other attributes and found them deficient. Maybe it's a matter in uh, Islander land of uh, people falling victim to Zidane Chara lamenting all that was never to be seen uh, with Big Z as an Islander. Maybe that's part of the deal if we're, uh, if we're obsessed with size so much. I, as an undersized fellow myself, small in stature, but big on heart, I used to say when I, played uh, the game at a tiny, 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 completely uh, ignorable level. Um, I can t- attest to that. It's not all about uh, the, the size of the guy. Uh, you got to have a little bit of spunk, right? And I think <laughs> that, uh, you know, guys like Brian Strait embody that. Am I right? Am I, am I getting – am I following oh, off the yeah. train here? It's funny. Um, one of the things today in the, in the great – Erhoff debate was that people wanted to replace Erhoff with, with straight, um, you know, not realizing that the Islanders and a lot of other teams, if you notice that the Islanders, you're going to notice two different type of defensemen, defensive uh, geared, um, AKA Hickey, and then offensively geared puck movers. AKA um, uh, Zidalicki, you got um, um, you got uh, Dehan once again as somebody who's more defensively geared, and then you had him with Hamannik, who was at the time when they were on the uh, second pairing. Hamannik was more offensively and also on the power play. Um, you know, it depends on the pairings, but they really seem to have one and then the other. Well, straight as a seventh defenseman as a plug-in tends to be that well he has no puck moving skills whatsoever so let's let's leave it at that but if you're going to compare Erhoff you have to compare him to Zidalicki and the fact was um, people started citing Corsi one attribute but analytics isn't one attribute analytics is a series of attributes that give you a picture of what the player does and I think this is not what fans understand about analytics analytics is multiple metrics so I finally put together a, a head-to-head comparison that seemed to shut everybody up for a little bit. Um, and the fact was that they were almost, you know, if not identical, there were some attributes of Verhoff that was just a little bit higher, and there were some attributes of uh, Zidalecki that were a little bit higher. In fact, I think that Z was a little bit ahead. And the fact was there wasn't a discernible improvement. And that's what analytics are. It's a series of metrics. And the, and the fact is that, the, you know, I, I think I've lost my point. But um, happens the, to me all the time. Uh, I looked at also, I put in the head-to-head just for shiggles, uh straight first Erhoff. And the analytics was almost all negative <laughs> for straight. <laughs> and, and the fact is, he's just a seventh plug-in. And <laughs> You know, I, I I almost want to skip to my what if. I have a little bit of a what if here. And I've been thinking about this and uh, kind of crafting it for the day. And I have a couple questions out to a couple people. And uh, we'll follow it up a little bit more. Earlier this season, I did a piece for Isles Beat that was about the Islanders uh, kind of breaking their story about the Islanders using a uh, a player technology company that they were working with that was using um, tracking software, cameras, and watching player movement and giving them um, what was very much ahead of the curve, uh, some ability to really uh, dig down into some really, uh, you know, deep metrics on players. And I believe they use this for their, you know, um, for their camp I believe they might use it for their, um, you know, when they have the rookie game. I also might think that they might use that in Bridgeport 
for their players. Maybe it's why they know when a player is ready and when a player is not and why certain players come up and why certain players stay there to work on other things. And in that deep metrics and in that analysis, they'll also know how to groom and bring a player up when they feel it's at the right level to be a boon. Well, you know, we haven't seen Pollock this this season at all. And I think they're doing a lot of work with him. And I think that work is on purpose. The Everybody's been strike, you know, been concerned about all these lack of call-ups as if what's wrong with Pollock or what's wrong with the coach or what's wrong with anything. Everybody's trying to blame someone. Um, we, we live in a, in a, in a, uh, basically in social media of judgment where we all try to draw conclusions, then just sit back and say, all right, let's see what happens. And I, I think there's a reason for this. I think that the team determined that Pellick was more ready for what their need was when certain players went down and got hurt. And I think they've been working with Pollock uh, deliberately because Pollock is their best defensive prospect and grooming him for the position. The question is, is when he's ready. And that's a really interesting question because if, as I've been uh, kind of alluding to, and that also has been written to kind of confirm this, which has been pretty much happening all season long. So I've been having a good year. Um, fact is that they feel this is going to be a very quiet trade deadline. And I've talked about that the Islanders are really not going to be taking on rentals. They're not a cup or bust team. I know that people are going to be very upset when the Capitals, you know, go and grab somebody crazy uh, because they seem to be very cup or bust. They, they paid for the coach. They paid, you know, they've been, they've been doormats year after year after year. If you think the Islanders, you're disappointed with one year failing out of the first round. Look at the Capitals. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of uh, movement only from those cap uh, copper bus teams. So if the thing's going to be really quiet and certain attributes that we've talked about of Strom and Lee and uh, the possession game all increasing, well, couldn't Pollock coming up as maybe in the third pair and Zidalecki and Straight both sitting as depth, wouldn't that be ideal? Wouldn't that kind of be a game changer where you're getting, you know, it also depends on how Pollock is ready. That could be a very interesting thing to kind of look for. Will it happen? I don't know. But, you know, I've been thinking about that player technology and I uh, really think that this is something that a good what if. What do you think, John? Well, I think I can't get off the fact that you told everybody to once again expect an uneventful trade deadline. Um, I think that that, <laughs> you know, with, with very few ex- exceptions, doesn't that tell the history of the Islanders at the trade deadline? I mean, uh, the contemporary history anyway? I mean, I can't think of more than maybe one or two deals uh, that really – you know, made everybody so happy uh, come, you know, the day after the deadline day. I just don't think that's a big day for this franchise historically. So I don't think that that's going to come as a surprise to anybody, but you're going to still hear the letdown. I mean, we hear it every day. Every day they either lose or don't win convincingly, and myself included with last night's game, somebody's disappointed and somebody's vocal about it and everybody, you know, follows suit. And, you know, that always leads to, we got to go get this guy or we got to go get that guy. And it does usually end up being like you were talking about earlier, the types of deals that are basically just going and doing deals for no good reason other than to do the deal. Um, But, you know, and then the deadline comes around and people, you know, multiply that times 10. I don't know what the expectation is. You know, at some point, maybe one day there'll be a huge blockbuster or something like that, that people can really get behind. Um, But, but to expect anything other than that is, you know, other than, than you know, a piece or a part here or there or the, the Tyler Kennedys of the world, you know, I think we're, we're used to that. And however, uh, you know, thinking about those metrics that you're talking about, um, I like the what if scenario. That is something that, uh, that, that maybe people can look toward. Now, they're going to take that as you saying that that's going to happen, even though you clearly have not said that. Uh, 
but that's how some people are going to take that, and then they're they're going to be the ones that are most upset here. Uh, in geez, not not all that far away now that I look at the calendar. Yeah, well, look, if it doesn't happen now, then it's going to happen next next season, and they'll bring him in on the third pair. Hickey is very good on the defensive side. Um, they have a lot of trust in him. Um, but you know, it just made me think that. Uh, what would provide a nice amount of defensive depth without making any trade or asset changing hands at all? And that's the fact of having two type of defensive guys sitting on the bench as Pollock, who has more upside, um, is eased in if, you know, from about that time forward. And that gives them, you know, a good month. Um, it's a possibility or it's something that you'll see next season. But I guarantee you it's something that you'll see. Um, whether at which juncture is the question. Um, I think that a lot of uh, work has been done with the kids in Bridgeport, much more than um, than people realize. Because of that player uh, tracking technology, there was an assumption, including by myself, that they were using it only in the beginning of the season or during practices or whatnot, or during the, you know, during the summer months. But then it occurred to me that, you know, if I, it was my team and I was really had a lot of prospects and pieces, it would be something that I would want, um, you know, in the, uh, it would be something that I would want uh, working on with the, my major, with the major prospects in Bridgeport. That's how I would do it. I can't got, you know, I don't know if I'll be able ever to get confirmation on it, but it, it's, I, to me, it's the most likely scenario, um, you know, that in itself. But let's talk about the trade deadline itself. Look, um, you know, if, if you've been following along the podcast or my Twitter, uh, I am not always the, the bearer of good news, um, even though I have been optimistic. <laughs> on the, you're, the, you're, the, you're the voice of reason. I've been calling you the voice of reason all year. Don't, don't be down on yourself. You can't say that you're, <laughs> you're the harbinger of doom. I've been well. Sometimes I am, and sometimes I'm not. It depends on well, what the reality I, is. Now that and I think about it, I I, th- I think I may have called you Captain Buzzkill earlier in the season. <laughs> yes. Like well, and and that's the thing. Reality is reality, no matter what it is. And sometimes it's going to be more optimistic if everybody's doom and gloom of the team, which is uh, what I've been pressing upon uh, about this Islander team this year. I think that there's optimism here. Um, however, I feel that there's a little lack, uh, there should be a lack of optimism if you're really having an expectation of a, of a very active trade deadline. One of the issues and, uh, you know, others uh, that I've been harping on for a couple weeks now is that the Islanders are not going to move uh, Kyle Poso or Franz Nielsen or any other UFA um, because they're in the, in the mix. It's not, you know, they're not sellers. Unless they lose 10 in a row, they're not sellers. And, that happens with better teams when they're in the playoff hunt. Um, very often, rentals do not give you NHL players. It's a, just a fact. Um, it usually brings back, you know, a high pick, first-round pick usually because of the, the competition for those type of players and a pretty solid prospect. And then the Islanders have quite a good they're not going to go get rentals and they're not going to trade off players for rentals. So if Kyle Oposo is to go, it will be because somebody needs him and is willing to give back an NHL player. That is the only scenario that will happen. And I will put, you know, you can remind me if I'm wrong or right, but if Kyle Oposo is moved at the trade deadline, they are getting at back an NHL player. And that is a rarity for a rental. Um, and that's the only way he goes. And that's, you know, and and that'll depend on if they get somebody that they want. And today, not just with the Poso, but also with Nielsen and Travis Hamanek, you got uh, you got put over a little bit, as they say, in the wrestling business by uh, none other than Bob McKenzie, who seemed to echo those sentiments that you've been harping for so long. Uh, that goes hand in hand with telling Islanders, faithful to expect nothing major at the deadline. And it go, and it jives perfectly with the common sense behind what you just stated, which is that 
listen, maybe we're a little bit underwhelmed with how this team has performed so far this season and, and can't really put together any sort of consistency to make us feel comfortable. But nothing short of a nine or ten game slide is going to make them a seller in any way. And we said that specific to Oposo early in the season, maybe even before the season, uh, that, yeah, it might not make sense for him to be part of the long-term future, but it's going to be tricky to try and move him because the team should be good and should be competitive. And it's really, really hard to move a player like that when you have a team that you know, uh, or at least you hope, can do some damage and has the potential to do some damage in the playoffs. I still think that it's it's way too early to uh, – uh, alter the some of the goals and some of the some of the measuring sticks we put out there at the beginning of the year in terms of you know win a playoff round or else this season has to be looked at as a step back and things like that. Um, so you have to stay the course on that. They're in the hunt. They're only three points behind the Rangers for second. Um, they they flirted with the cut line of the playoffs for a couple of days there, but that you know they they basically have games in hand still on on you know most of the league. So they should be in decent shape moving forward, and hopefully that means a rise up the standings and, uh, and and playing a little bit more like we thought they could all year, building on some of that offensive momentum that we've been talking about, continuing to get healthy, uh, having guys, especially on defense, you know, slot into their more natural fits uh, in terms of a pairing and, and stuff like that. But um, it, it, it's a tricky situation with Oposo. It's a tricky situation with Hamannick. It's a tricky situation with Franz Nielsen, and it's a tricky situation in general when it comes to this team making a splash at the deadline. So all of this stuff fits together and I think really helps set that expectation. And it takes you off the hook a little bit. See guys, it's not just him. <laughs> yeah. When big, bad Bob McKenzie comes in and it's, it's no different than what we, you know, it's been said before a couple other um, uh, Canadian writers have also mentioned it, whether Darren Dreger or uh, Pierre Lebrun, Fact is that um, you know Garth Snow has a a, a a certain philosophy, and he doesn't really blink on it. And you know he'll sit there waiting, just like he you know maybe I should mention to anybody who hasn't seen the article on TSN, um, Bob McKenzie writes a piece on uh, Travis Hamanick that uh, that uh, you know Garth Snow per Bob is would really ra- rather prefer to put this whole thing off until the summer. Hmm. Where have we heard that? I don't know. Um, <laughs> and that the Islanders are all about making the playoffs and making a splash in the playoffs. Unless incredible, an incredible offer comes across Snow's desk in the next couple of weeks. And though Bob cites Winnipeg and Edmonton, I, and they're the, I feel that the reason that they keep on getting mentioned, and they're also mentioned from other um, Canadian outlets, is because they're the ones doing all the talking. I think they're doing a lot of leaking of how interested they are in Hamannick. Um Some of it is because they're trying to make a market for a certain player. Um, Winnipeg seems to uh, you know, be moving Truba. Um, and I, there's no way the Islanders are making a deal for Truba who thinks he's going to get um, whatever ridiculous amount of money that he thinks he's going to get in as an RFA. I don't think he's anything more than a second pairing defenseman. I don't think that's going to happen. The uh, Edmonton seems to always be tied into Hamannick on his interest. And it's funny how what used to be Boston's leaky front office has now become Edmonton's leaky front office with Torelli. Because all the leaking used to come out from the Bruins, all this chatter when they wanted to market or move some players. And now, you know, it's Edmonton leaking all over the place of how interested they are in certain players and how, you know, trying to tie certain players to Hamannick. I think they're trying to create market. Look, Edmonton has a lot of forwards and they do not have a lot of defense to move. They would like to move Schultz. Schultz is garbage. Okay, so Schultz is not coming to Long Island. The only thing that Schultz would replace is a third uh, pair. He's really not garbage, but in the comparison of what Hamannick is, he it's not even close. Um, you know, Schultz is, would be an improvement on a third pair at best. They're trying to move out mistakes, um, and they're not willing to move the defensemen that they have that they know are good pickups, Clefbaum and Nurse. And to be honest, we're not sure which one the Islanders would be even interested in because they have their own set of metrics and analytics that they trust. So 
but we hear a lot of what how Edmonton is so interested in Hamannick. I think when this all goes down and when Hamannick is moved, it will be neither Edmonton nor Winnipeg. And the reason is there are other other places that have direct flights to Winnipeg, to Travis Hamannick's home, uh, that are only two, three hours. Ottawa, Toronto, Avalanche in Colorado. Those are other places. And I think uh, Calgary. There are other places and other suitors. And I think that the reason that Garth would like to wait until the summer is because then he's not tied into having to fill the role. Havnick will not be moved and all of a sudden Pollock is playing his position. That is a nightmare. You're hurting the player that has not played any NHL time that is suddenly plugged in there, and it leaves a gaping hole and it ruins development. And you would think by now Islander fans would learn what happens when you rush development. So the fact is, if he's going to move Hamannick during the season, he must get a defenseman back and not a rental. Hamannick has, and in, in the deals that we're seeing, he's only becoming even more valuable because of his fantastic contract, besides being a, a, an excellent character player and an excellent overall player. His contract looks brilliant especially after Big Buff's ridiculous deal in Winnipeg. Um, so Hamannick is a jewel in the crown that is going to cost a team dearly. And those that think that it's going to be um, snow getting just marbles for, for Hamannick are going to be very surprised. But the chance of that happening of those trades is probably during the summer. So snow is going to stick to that line until somebody antes up what he wants. We've talked about this before. He had an auction back around right before Thanksgiving and everybody balked at what the cost was. And the fact is, Garson was not going to move off that. Could be that the price has even gotten higher. So somebody's going to have to bite that hook and and surprise Garth or that he's going to but Garth is not somebody who really rushes. So he'll stick to his guns and I think that's been pretty clear. So, um, and I just want to see if there's anything else in this article, if we can move off of it, but I think, uh, no, looks like that's about it from that article. So that's, that's about it with Hamannick in the, in the trade deadline. What do you think? John? Yeah, there, there were, you know, it, just in summary, there was the basic point, you know, re- reiterating the basic point that we talked about already, which is the fact that the team's in the race that they are very much about making the playoffs and making some noise in the playoffs and stuff like that. And, you know, it's nice to get that sort of uh, uh, affirmation about something that we believe to be true. Just like it's nice to get that sort of support for something that we said basically by applying the simple logic when the Hammonick stuff first came out that the Islanders can't afford to move one of their best defensemen without getting an NHL-ready defenseman back. And here we are months later, three months later almost, maybe right around three months, and it's still the case. And I don't think that's going to change anytime soon unless there are other factors that come into play that we're not uh, taking into consideration here, such as, first and foremost, the, what, what nobody wants, which is that extended losing streak that would come, maybe, maybe change things quite a bit. Uh, and until that happens, we don't have much reason to believe that it will, but until that happens, I think that's kind of the, the, the projected course here. Uh, kind of along similar lines, we were talking before the show began about uh, we're at the 52-game mark, and I don't do math, but I believe that means that there are 30 games left, and that's a nice uh, even number to break down into those 10-game chunks that we like so much. So really, you know, we've got 30 games left, uh, three pretty solid 10-game chunks, and this team is going to be in good shape. Uh, But looking backwards, we were talking about how uh, prior to this, these uh, the two consecutive wins right now are the start of another ten game uh, stretch. But prior to that, they were four, five, and one, and we weren't quite sure if that was the first time they had had a losing segment of ten games this season. It's actually the second. The second ten game segment segment this season was also a four, five, and one run. And uh, uh-huh. just prior just prior to this last four, five, and one run, they were five and five in their previous ten. So they actually, to this point, only have two winning 10-game segments 
the entire season. That would be the first 10 games of the year when they were 6-2-2, two, and two, uh, and then uh, uh, followed by a 4-5-1 and one stretch, and then a 7-1-2 and two mark, their best stretch of the season so far. Uh, that got them to 17-8-5 and five in the early going. So here they are with two consecutive wins. Uh, you can't break down an 82-game season in exactly eight, ten-game segments, but uh, we've got 30 left. Those are three even, Stephen, ten-game segments. Uh, and if they can come up on the positive side of those, uh, all three of those, they're going to be in great shape. But it was surprising for me to go back and look and see that they actually only have two winning ten-game stretches. And with that in mind, looking where they are, you know, things could be a lot worse. Oh yeah, I mean, look, it, it, and it's it's really about the the game and also competing. Um, as long as possession trends up, and and players are healthy, that's one of the key uh, items as well. Um, you know, that's the other thing. You know, in the last ten game stretch, they, it wasn't exactly a, a team of great health. Um, you know that. The other, the other one, they, there was no excuse for back at the second uh, ten-game mark of, of the a stretch of the season. So as long as that, you know, they were able to uh, offset it and not dig themselves a hole, and they they avoided digging themselves a big hole, and they're still in the mix, and it, it is really tight. But they have the type of players, and the you know, as long as Lee keeps on rising. Strom continues. Um, I keep seeing fans just dismiss Grabowski, but there's a reason that he's been on the top line along with Strom. As soon as he worked with Strom, they, everything clicked. Uh, Grabowski is actually having a better season than last year. Uh, it seems to be uh, under the radar for most people who have been looking at, you know, Brock and uh, Dahan, who's had a, a fabulous um, season so far. Um, playing more of the defensive st- uh, side of things. Um, you know, that's what makes you really want, uh, really, from my point of view, and we talked about this last uh, show of how much uh, somebody like Shattenkirk or somebody like that, a uh, an elite or uh, at least a, a, a top four puck mover would be so good because you have Letty and Boychuk two different aspects. Letty is more offensive. Boychuk is a little bit more defensive. You have Hamannick. And Dahan, if they were able to move Hamannick for more of a puck mover, that would be a much better match for Dahan. Um, Hamannick, who's good enough, but that's not his bread and butter, um, is is being you know a uh, he's just an average puck mover at, at best. Um, so you know that that really makes you kind of wish that something would come together at the trade deadline, as much as it would might affect um, chemistry. It could be something that, uh, you know, that makes a little bit of a mark. But like I said, you know, if anything, the, at least there are optimistic um, items. And, and, and just like when I described, when you look at analytics, it's a series of metrics. The reason that I don't kind of get too thrown off by a bad game or two is because I'm looking at a series of different things simultaneously to see if is possession still trending up. Are those players getting off more shots? We had talked about a couple of weeks ago, one of the biggest issues for the, uh, for the Islanders offense is they were not producing the enough shots, which is because the possession and the defensemen weren't bringing up the puck and keeping it in there. Um, you know, those things weren't necessarily working. We're seeing those things rising and lo and behold, as they rise, the offense is starting to wake up. So those are the key factors we need to see on an ongoing basis. So, you know, as much as we get concerned and, and, and sometimes rightly from, and sometimes we just slap our forehead, um, you know, where straight makes a gaff, he's not very good. You don't want to see him plugged in. Um, you know, I agree. Um, that said, most seventh defensemen in this league aren't very good. You know, the, the key is, I think he was in Columbus to give, uh, you know, uh, Zidlicki a, a rest or, you know, weren't particularly liking something in his game. I don't think it's a, a big deal. Uh, there seemed to be some fans that were concerned that all of a sudden straight is the sixth defenseman. I don't think that's the case at all. Um, I certainly hope it's not. 
Um, it would give me more, you know, if, if the Islanders weren't happy with uh, uh, Zidalecki, and um, I think that they're even more likely to bring up Pollock, to, to, to tell you the truth, because that's the type of defenseman that would work best with Hickey on the third pair. I still think that uh, a glimpse of Brian Strait sends people into a justifiable panic. And um, he, uh, <laughs> when he has like uh, seeing the devil, <laughs> yeah, something like that. I mean, when he has a consistent presence in that lineup, you have to think to yourself, really? I mean, this is, this is what we can, this is the best we can do here. That's the thing though. It's not the best they can do. It's the best they can do at times, sometimes dealing with injuries or, rest days for older guys or whatever the case may be. But uh, yeah, I think I, 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 all, all kidding aside, I mess I mess around about the guy a lot. He is what he is. I'm sure he's a great person. I, I feel bad sometimes, but uh, yeah, he does cause some panic and he becomes like the poster child for why can't we ever go out and get anything better for most people. <laughs> and uh, you know, hopefully for him and for everybody that'll, that'll end someday. And he'll be, he'll be the extra guy that, that, gets a Stanley Cup ring from sticking around this team long enough. I think that would be great. What a send-off. I'll play in the parade. Let's do it. Let's make yeah. that exchange right now. Yeah, well, unless they're winning the Cup this year, I know that people joke that uh, that Garth is going to sign uh, Straight to a long-term deal. Um, let me tell you, Straight will not be on this team next year. Oh, um, so there you go. <laughs> yeah, I, know, I know this is very disappointing for you, John. Um, <laughs> what about the jersey I just bought? <laughs> Yeah, well, it can't help you there. Um, you know, straight won't be there. Zidalicki won't be there. Um, fact is, you know, the Islanders have a lot of things coming up. Um, and, uh, and you know, they will uh, not be there next year. I think this is going to be – look, if the trade deadline is quiet or somehow the Hamannick deal some something – or something happens where, like I said – the only scenario that I can see Kyle Oposo actually being moved, I don't see Franz necessarily being moved because I don't think there's enough demand of a, getting an NHL player. But if somebody really covets uh, Kyle Oposo, that type of uh, level, which is not necessarily elite, but can work well with other players and has, you know, like we talked about, rounded skill sets and the hockey IQ and the ability to kind of dig off the boards. And if somebody really wants that, they're going to have to pay an NHL player and that's going to be cake. So, you know, we'll see what happens. But uh, like I said, but when it comes to this summer, this summer is going to be a lot of big changes. And uh, I think there's going to be, you know, maybe centering around the draft about draft time, uh, especially if the, you know, as all probability has it, that the trade deadlines rather quiet in general not just for the Islanders. Um, there's been articles and people writing about that this market is not that great. Um, that I think there's going to be a lot of changes for the Islanders this summer. Um, uh, I think that uh, Garth will be aggressive again to fill in things. I think they've done a lot of assessment this season. Um, I think they've done more assessment on the coach than, than people realize. I don't know how, um, the, there, you know, I've, I've thought about the coach, uh, a bit and maybe I'll go on a, a little side tangent. Um, you know, if the Islanders go into the playoffs and they fail, or if the Islanders go in the playoffs and get into the second round, I don't see Jack moving in either way, but what you might see, the, the, the fact is really, there's no great coach out there. There's no Herb Brooks. Um, you know, most great or good coaches that have uh, great systems are working. So the fact remains, what do you do? Well, if there's questions on an assessment of the coach and a feel by the Islanders that they could do better, maybe you see a, a change at Bridgeport first, a little bit of grooming. Somebody hired with a different system, that's the key, a different system, rather than mimicking the system that's been done on the NHL side and installed um, at Bridgeport. It's something that, uh, to look for. That would signify possible change down the line in, in the coaching area. 
because that's the other scenario that you have. If you have no great coach out there, um, then you're going to have somebody that you hire that you kind of groom for the position. And right now the Islanders do not have that in Bridgeport. So that's something to kind of keep an eye out for. That'll be another thing that perhaps this summer we see. If um, there is, you know, the Islanders hold on and get the eighth spot and they're one, you know, they're four and out or five and out and they just don't bring anything to the table in the playoffs. That's possible. But if the Islanders are competitive in the playoffs, even if they fail to get into the second round, um, I think Jack is still the guy. But like I said, when the Islanders start to question the coaching position and can they do better, you might start to see changes at Bridgeport first. Which would signal a major shift in direction, like you said, away from the system in place presently, uh, but not necessarily. I'm sure you would back me up on this, and I'm just guessing, although it's no stretch to say, not necessarily a shift away from that analytics-based philosophy. Oh, no. Oh, no. That analytics which, which, yeah, which philosophy we pointed out is the goal we point, of the NHL right now. Yeah, and, and we pointed out earlier in the season if there was any mid-season coaching change ever to be made, uh, one of the reasons, or to, con- to consider it anyway, one of the reasons that it would remain highly unlikely is simply because you would have to get a guy who has that same philosophy, and I think that we only pinpointed a couple of names that anybody might know. So that was always you know, probably less of a chance, that carried probably less of a chance than a lot of people wanted to see it carry in terms of a mid-season coaching change for that reason and that reason alone. So a, a shift in direction uh, at the Bridgeport level, um, you know, would be somewhat surprising and, and indicate a, a new path, uh, but that wouldn't change anything about the, the analytics uh, philosophy, and that, that's the point I wanted to make there. Oh, yeah, and, and, and you're absolutely correct. And, and the other thing is, look, to to play, you know, tit for tat. Look, there are going to be those um, that that will never love Jack Capuano. Um, I, you know, there are the, um, as uh, uh, those on Twitter have had ongoing debates with, um, and, and, and at times they have very good points. There are limitations. But, um, you know, that said, when when Jack calls something out, or they make a change that everybody questions. Have you noticed that it tends to work? Everybody complained that Strom was sent down. And, uh, you know, and all the things that they did with Strom. Strom came back and is actually back on track and actually getting, you know, what a half a point per game, which is what he was, or just about, just a little bit of higher. Uh, as last season. The fact is, it, it, they work. Um, I know that we're up on the uh, hour point, so maybe we'll just uh, continue just another two or three minutes and then we'll wrap up. Um, but the point is that, you know, a lot of the time that we truly see where the metal is and where they're going to listen and when it really becomes that high pressure is in a playoff series that's when you see what the coach and the, and the team is made of and where they are and where we can define whether player performance is the player or it's the coach not getting enough out of them. And I think that that bothers some people because we all want to be immediately gratified with change. You know, some people will never love Jack Capuano and, and maybe they're right in the end. It doesn't matter. The fact is the team is not going to give that assessment until the chips are on the table and everything matters. And that's usually, you know, that's a playoff series. So like I said, unless we see a seven, 10 game losing streak, this team is in the mix. I still think that there are a third to sixth, um, you know, seed. If you see them as a seventh and eighth or, or fighting and fall out of it, then we have an interesting conversation before, and, 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 you know, whether you give Jack more time or not, it, I think it's going to depend on whether they feel that they can install a new system or not. I think that more likely that Jack stays on as they install that new system. But as the, if things continue the way they're, they are, that they will be in the mix and we'll see what they're made of come playoff time. 
Yeah, in the end, that is all that matters. The uh, the, uh, the the end result in the playoffs. I mean, we we identified that in the beginning of the season. Everybody identified that in the beginning of the season as a bottom line measuring stick. What can they do with a playoff berth? To not to not land one would be a major failure. Uh, but all these other things that we talk about all the time, you know, slow starts. Inability to adjust, which may just be somebody like me having the, that uh, that notion fit my own narrative as, as it pertains to Jack Capuano, uh, whatever it may be, not not blowing out lesser perceived lesser teams or whatever. It all doesn't matter when you get into the playoffs. It, it all be, everything from the entire season boils down to the task at hand, and I think that uh, you know no matter what, with that with that small measure of success. Uh, winning around, making a run into the second round, seeing what goes, how things go from there, and who gets hot, uh, could leave people very, very uh, satisfied. And it would be something to compare. We should do that. We should do that. The next big loss, we should gather a sampling of uh, negative Twitter responses, and then uh, <laughs> if we're so lucky to have some playoff success this year, compare those because that's not all that far away. We're only talking about the span of a couple of months, which is actually kind of crazy to think about. Yeah, I mean we're 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 reaching the time that this is really much more of the, especially when we get to the trade deadline, the last lap. Um, I know there's going to be a lot of expectation building on the trade day deadline, and everybody looking at those other teams that are cup or bust, and their where window is very very tight, and forgetting that the Islanders' window, you know, they'll make this fiction up. Oh, John Tavares, he's not going to like the way things are going. Or or whatever their narrative is, they're gonna just buy in and go crazy with it. But the fact is, like you know, up until the trade deadline, all of a sudden it is a very quick last lap, and how they play up until the trade deadline and right after is it, this is the key the key time. And luckily, a lot of the things are in good. You got most of the players' health. You have. Um, the the possession rising, you have a lot of key attributes in place. So even if they don't make anything or just do a depth deal of some sort, um, as long as they have um, hopefully um, uh, something up their sleeve, whether it be Mayfield or, um, you know, I know that we still have no clue what's going on with Pellick and nobody can get anything out of the Islanders over it. Uh, but I figure that he's uh, not coming back for this season. So whatever's going on, um, you know, you still have Mayfield. Uh, you have Pollock as an option. And I think that uh, they have some some things, uh, some things in their arsenal that they can utilize that would still provide them the type of depth uh, without losing any kind of asset in a trade. So that's a good thing. And on that. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. That's uh, there you go. old and wise motivational speaker once told me. Yes. Anyway, that's about it for this week. I think uh, I think I'm all out of gas, man. I'm I'm uh, I'm drooling on myself over here. I need a game. <laughs> I need a hockey game. We got one tomorrow. <laughs> exactly. And uh, versus uh, uh, the tough LA Kings, another very analytics heavy team. Is you. You can discount analytics, and I notice um, some of the writers who are not very analytics savvy try to kind of downgrade it or downplay it. But analytics is very important, and if you look at the last couple of Stanley Cup champs, they're analytic teams. L.A. Kings is an analytics team. Chicago Blackhawks is an analytics team. Guess what? The ones that are not analytics, <laughs> the Rangers, are the ones who are in deep trouble. So. In- in the cap era with the collective bargaining agreement, analytics is key because you must maximize your results. So, and on that note, let's end tonight and we will see you next week. This has been Isles Beat with BD and John Jordan. See you. Goodbye. Come on, anytime now. God damn you, Blog Talk Radio. (laughs) I hate you. Let me try this again. One more time. RN music. Damn it. You had had one job. There we go. Hey.